0: You're listening to The Cat Who Did a Podcast with me, Susan Romsdorf terry and...
1: Luke Romsdorf terry where we read a book from the Cat Who Mystery Series and discuss it.
0: On today's episode, we are talking about the seventh book in the series, The Cat Who Knew Shakespeare.
1: This was published in 1988.
0: Again, same as the previous... And interesting, well,
1: and uh, before we begin and talk about that, this was written by, uh, not written, but has the same audiobook narrator as the previous ones. I don't think it's going to be until we get to the 90s where we're going to see a change in that.
0: Exactly, exactly. Everything is is still George Goodall. It's still wonderful if you can track them down. Uh, but unfortunately... There is no main there is no mainstream source for the audiobooks uh, this early in the system.
1: Now, there's an interesting note that you have on this one that is specifically about uh, two books being published
0: this year. In the series. Three books, actually. So we have The Cat Who Knew Shakespeare, mm-hmm. The Cat Who Sniffed, Sniffed Glue, which is our next book, mm-hmm. and then The Cat Who Had 14 Tales. Now, we aren't reading The Cat Who Had 14 Tales. This is a short story collection that features tales from pickaxe Ack, Pick history. <laughs> the reason we're not reading these short story collections is because more often than not, they're featured in the books in various bits and pieces. It just so happens that she wrote a couple of short story collections to collect everything together.
1: Gotcha. So we're just sticking with the main books. We're not going to do any, essentially, side quests.
0: No side quests, although we are going to do a parody at the end of this.
1: Yes, you've mentioned this before, which uh, (laughs) I am looking forward to that. Me too. I think it's going to be fun. As with usual, uh, as per usual, we're going to say that there are spoilers ahead. Ye have been warned. (laughs) So again, we'll give you a few seconds to go read the book. And welcome back. Thank you. Now let's go ahead and let's jump into the Cat Who knew Shakespeare.
0: Absolutely. We have another pickaxe, a couple of pickaxe phrases for this book. They (laughs) are the big one, which is the first snowstorm of the year, and that also references to when the snow flies, i.e. getting out before the big one hits. So if you hear me talk about somebody trying to get out before the snow flies, that's what they mean.
1: And the big one is not Fred Sanford having a heart attack. No, it is no. actually a big snow. It is a
0: giant snowstorm traditionally in Moose County and this is a thing this is a thing throughout the books. The big one happens in November and it is the start of the full-on winter season. They may have had snow before this. They will most definitely have snow after this, but basically November to April hmm. is snow season in Moose County, which um, to, some, uh, to some degree at least, but November, but the big one is what starts it off. Big one's what started off, and so we have the big one in this story. Exactly. All right. All right. We have jumped forward over a year to Quill's second winter in Pickaxe. Approximately eighteen months since he found out that he inherited all of the K, all, all of the uh, the K money. No amnesia. No amnesia this time. But there are a lot of changes in eighteen months. Melinda has been dumped. Oh. Uh, she has moved to Boston, and Quill has taken up with the local librarian, Polly Duncan. <laughs> iris is seeing herb hackpole for unknown reasons he was a side character in the previous book who liked to do things like let his dogs attack quillerlin on his bike and complain at the city council meeting that the flag only had 48 stars and therefore it was a violation of the flag code uh, blah blah yes. blah. quill threw money at that problem solved that one and he did in fact apparently take uh, take hackpole to court for letting his dogs chase quill on his bike i Good think for that's
1: him. more than fair to do that
0: but the fact remains that Hackpole is seeing Iris, and she seems happy. And when you have a wonderful live-in housekeeper that's as wonderful as Iris, you you, you can't say anything about her choice. If she's going to be happy, let her be happy. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So right now we so we've gone through this. Um, we are now joining the county of Mo- we are joining the whole of Moose County in waiting to see when the big one will hit. <laughs> Again, first big snowstorm of the year. In down below news, Arch Riker is finally retiring from the Fluxion, and yeah. yes, Quill and Quill is throwing his retirement bash. Sensibly, he takes Junior Goodwinter <laughs> with him. They're planning a few days in the city with a hockey game or two, but they have to, and they end up flying back early, unfortunately, because Senior Goodwinter dies suddenly in a terrible car crash. Oh no! Now, way to start things off.
1: Jeez, Abs- this is only like the first chapter.
0: <laughs> yeah, possibly. it is.
1: So it- we've already, so Goodwinter count. We're at. Goodwinter number one of dead.
0: Okay, well, I, 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 just for this book, right? Just for well, yes, just for this book. So because far. we have to include Alexander and Penelope from the previous book. Just in this book, yes. Just in this book, There's yes. A lot of good winters. One good winter Goodwinter's already dead. Jeez, um, I it was wish not you... a good winter for him. No, never was. Uh, I'll be here all week. <laughs> <laughs> um, on their flight back to Moose County. Um, There is a strange man in a black raincoat who eventually claims to be a historian researching the minds of Moose County, although no one believes him. Hmm. He plays a small part later. Um, After they arrive back and Junior goes to be with his family over his father's death, we get to meet Polly Duncan at her place of work, the Pickaxe Public Library. Now, unlike the younger women that Quill has been pursuing in previous books, Polly is described as enigmatic Hmm. with a captivating voice and a frankly encyclopedic knowledge of Shakespeare. And then he, everything was going so well. And then we get the description of not as slender as the girls he was used to dating. Oh, God. Doing so well, too. Jeez. <laughs> but she's also not immediately trying to jump into bed with him. And he apparently finds this reserve intriguing. Okay. And this isn't surprising at all, as he has stated multiple times that he pursu- prefers to do the pursuit.
1: If he's being pursued, he, yes, as we he, have seen He, in times.
0: theory, loses interest, except it doesn't count with Melinda. So, anyway, moving on. <laughs> um Quill takes a side, takes his own side quest um, to uh, to kind of harass the stranger because he finds them in the uh, in the reading room at the public library. adopts a broad North Country accent and re- recommends restaurants like Otto's Tasty Eats, Oof. still in business, I assume, due to the general lack of competition. <laughs> this, of course, causes the stranger to flee, and we don't see him for a bit.
1: No, but he does come back. He does. Stranger in a, in a trench coat. I'm sure that we're going to. Uh, he's going to play some sort of a part. Some later sort of on. a part.
0: Yes. <laughs> Quill takes Polly out to dinner that night, and over dinner, we learn Polly's somewhat tragic history. She fell in love and moved to Pickaxe to manage her family's bookstore, um, but he was a volunteer firefighter and was killed by a falling timber during a barn fire. Oh, no. After his death, she found contentment at the library and stayed, and that was 25 years ago. So now she lives in a cottage on a farm just outside of the Pickaxe city limits with an ancient landlord who thinks women shouldn't go out alone at night. Hmm. That's always fun back to the story um they're having dinner by the way at the old stone mill which has had a recent upgrade thanks to xyz enterprises led by don xbridge cal young and a local dentist dr zoller who continually encourages Quillerin to, to floss to the point that Quillerin says he's being known as the mad flosser because he'll floss not only before and after meals he will floss between the courses Wow. Way to uh, way to stick one to your
1: dentist. Then. And Dr. Zolar sounds very much like he's a, a comic book villain with that <laughs> it name. It kind of does. Sherman dentist.
0: But the other real reason for the upgrade is the arrival of Hixie Rice and her ah! chef boyfriend. Ah, yes. There was a letter to this effect in the previous book, but, um, but nothing was really done about it. So Hixie has finally made her way to pickaxe along with her chef boyfriend. The food is much better at the old stone mill. And uh, of course, this commentary has to be made that Hixie has lost all of her excess weight. Mostly, she she credits this, frankly, to working in the food industry because, quite frankly, as she says, once you've seen a hundred naked chickens, you really don't want to eat that much.
1: Well, I can also imagine in an industry like that, whatever position you're in, you're on your feet quite a bit. You're That moving is around. also true. You know, having you know, as bar, you know, former bartender. Well. On hiatus part we'll, we'll say, but, you know, you're on your feet a lot.
0: Exactly. So, so it doesn't sure to um, So she's now, you know, managing the old stone mill. Uh-huh. And uh, seeing Quillerin for the first time, she makes a crack about how she thought that Quillerin and Rosemary had been headed for holy bondage. Uh, but as Quill points out, there was a personality clash between her and Co- between Rosemary and Coco. Speaking of Coco, he is the center of the first of Hixie's crazy ideas. This is a running <laughs> thing. The first of which is fabulous foods for fussy felines, starting with pork liver cupcakes pork cupcakes all right i I assume cupcakes referred more to the shape versus the actual product i don't think
1: that cats would be a big fan of cake
0: yes but if you give them something in the shape of a cupcake that's made of pork liver i think a lot of them would actually go for it pork liver they would go for it for sure now unfortunately our good old xyz enterprises is not all beneficial um after Senior's death, now they're after the Picayune to turn it into an advertising circular. And
1: the Picayune is the paper it that is, is the... still set by hand.
0: Well, not anymore, since the typesetter just died.
1: Uh, but no, that's right. If Se- that's right, Senior Goodwinner's dead.
0: So now that Senior is dead, his widow is looking for ways to make some quick cash to cover all of her debts. She's also selling her the 100-year-old Goodwinter Farmhouse and all of its furnishings. Oh my. Um... Apparently running a living history experiment isn't cheap, and Senior had pretty much mortgaged everything to the hilt to keep on printing. But before any decisions can actually be made, the Picayune building catches fire What? and burning it and all of the history, as far as we know at this point, to the ground. Fortunately, however, the Picayune's resident cat, William Allen, manages to escape. William Allen. William Allen is the cat. William Allen. Yes. Please call me William. Exactly. (laughs) Nosy Quill is suddenly wondering, of course, if Senior's car crash was really an accident. Mm -hmm. If, you know, if typesetting was his reason for living, remember, he's been doing it since he was eight. What would he do if he lost the
1: Picayune? Very. And we're we're not pulling any punches with this book right away. No, we are jumping jumping right in with fire and... Mur-
0: and murder, jeez! Exactly, but Quill gets to ponder all of this in his newly renovated carriage house apartment, where he and the cats live, while Iris still has a suite over at the main house. <laughs> he decides to go chat with the uh, with the Goodwinter widow, but he gets uh, stymied by a bit of a pickaxe quirk. Despite a map listing Middle Hummock, West Middle Hummock, it does not show the location of North Middle Hummock, which, according <laughs> to the phone book, remember those. Uh, is where the Goodwinter farmhouse is located.
1: Now, this phone book, as we said in the last book, is only fourteen pages long. Correct, so. two and a
0: half pages of which are Goodwinters. <laughs> oh God! Now, it. fortunately, we this is this is where we get introduced to the charming and wonderful Mister Odell, who is the property caretaker, who explains in his lovely lilting voice that North Middle Hummock is yet another ghost town, but still has several houses to its name. His description is much longer and more full of character, but it's basically the equivalent of drive down the road till you see the tree and turn left. The house is gray with a yellow door. <laughs> Gulleran follows his directions, finds it perfectly, and gets to meet the grieving widow. But far from being a grieving widow, we meet Gritty Goodwinter.
1: Gritty Goodwinter. Yes. I'm sorry, Gritty. Gritty. Is it's? I'm seeing just the, the mascot in my head right now, the hockey
0: mascot. Gertrude is her name. She goes by Gritty.
1: I... T- <laughs> I'm just seeing Gritty right now. Liber- yes, the Gritty. Li- yeah. Liberty, Egality, and Gritty. gritty.
0: <laughs> anyway, back to this. <laughs>
1: back to so, the story, sorry.
0: Gritty, uh, Gritty, a.k.a. Gertrude Goodwinter, <laughs> is the picture of health in a red jogging suit happily bossing around Junior's sister Pug. Poor woman. We never find out what Pug's actual name is. Her name is Pug. Pug. Name. Pug. Pug. This is Junior's sister who lives in Montana. Which she's been mentioned before, but never a name. But we now have a name. And we name, now have Pug. a name. Her name is Pug. I'm God, so that, sorry. That poor woman. Jeez. I don't know. Anyway, but Gritty is talking about how relieved she is going to be to to be be able to sell everything, move to a condo, buy the golf course, and never have to eat a a meal on blue and white antique plates again. (laughs) Junior, on the other hand, is a total wreck. He couldn't mm-hmm. save the building as a firefighter And despite being promised his grandfather's roll-top desk He finds out it's being sold along with everything else oh, no His girlfriend Jody, Who is a dental hygienist dentist with Dr. Zoller um, <laughs> Is concerned for his mental health And while Junior heads back down below To see about getting a job at the fluxion, uh, Jody enlists Quill to help her try and bring back Junior's spirits And Quill promises to at least try when Junior returns mm-hmm. In the meantime Quill and Iris have finally figured out How to best use the k Mansion. After 18 months and innumerable renovations They are gifting the house and all of the antiques in it To the city of Pickaxe as a museum
1: Fabulous first, idea uh,
0: It's a great idea uh, And remember that most people have never seen the inside of this house Because of course It was built out of spite It was exactly built out of spite <laughs> And they never invited anyone over I think that's a wonderful idea So, their first big event will be a tea and cookie reception for the local historical society. (laughs) And before, uh, and so the the historical society will come, they will have their reception, and then trained guides will lead them through the house. The guides are trained indirectly by Iris herself, guided by Susan Xbridge, who is recently divorced from Don Xbridge of XYZ. Uh, Hence XYZ. Yes. (laughs) Well, no, no, no. He's just Xbridge X. I see. So X, X-Bridge, X, Young, Y, Zoller, Z. X, Y, Z. Z.
1: That's where I, that's where, that's what I thought.
0: Yes. (laughs) But yeah, Susan is the, is the actual X in X, Y, (laughs) Z. Anyway. But before the festivities get started, Quill gets a call from Lori Bamba, our favorite former postmistress and cat, and cat whisperer. um, About a camper that's parked on his, uh, it parked on his property at the lake, which is a little bit odd, uh, since Quill doesn't own a camper. Hmm. Um, they go, they, you know, he calls the sheriff, the sheriff gets the camper moved off, everything's fine. The reception, by the way, is then a huge hit, and this is, introduces us to the old-timers club, <laughs> featuring the 93-year-old Homer Tibbet, who... Um, Who is a major character throughout the story, but in this particular scene, the expositional heavy lifting falls to Amos and Hattie, who don't really get last names, but uh, both used to work at the Picayune back in the day. Mm -mm. He was a printer's devil, which is a printing apprentice, and she wrote the obituaries. By the way, she wrote fannies. That big, florid thing suitable for framing. Mm -hmm. Yes, she wrote that. Oh, wonderful. And they share a couple of stories of the Goodwinter curse. Um, Ephraim Goodwinter, who founded the Picayune, hanged himself. Samson Goodwinter died when a cloud of blackbirds startled his horse and he was thrown, and Titus Goodwinter took over the paper then, with an eye towards the female employees. Mm. He died in a fight. (laughs) In the morning after this lovely event, Iris reveals that Herb Hackpole has asked her to marry him, and he's buying the Goodwinter farmhouse for them to live in. Mm. She wants her wedding in the K Mansion, and Quill, of course, can do nothing but agree. Mm -hmm. We know that Iris needs to be with man, and unfortunately, Rough and Tumble is her type. Mm while she's not enthused about Herb's uh, hunting gun and knife lifestyle, and even less thrilled about his offer to give her a rifle as a wedding present.
1: Well, things are done differently Uh, in Moose County, apparently.
0: He did make her a mobile herb garden, and he willingly picked wild fruit for her various jams and jellies, Hmm. and he's also a volunteer firefighter, so I guess not a total loss? No, it seems like he does understand her and gets her a little bit. Or, you know... At least knows at least knows which side to, bread, to butter his bread on if he wants to get keep getting her home cooked meals. Uh, that's a very good point because,
1: yes. as we have said many times, she is a fabulous cook. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, unfortunately, what is a total loss is Junior Goodwinter's trip down below to get a job at the Fluxion. I'm kind of starting to guess that LB, uh, that LBJ, LJB did not care for affirmative action because the reason Junior didn't get hired is because they had just hired three girl reporters. Yes, that's how she refers to them. Hmm. Girl reporters. Two steps forward, one step back. Quill then decides to go interview Junior's grandmother, who's also a member of the Old Timers Club. In fact, she's the president. Uh, The youngest member is automatically elected president. Uh, She lied about her age of 82. (laughs) <laughs> this uh, this is where we meet the charming Euphonia Gage.
1: Euphonia Gage. Euphonia
0: Gage. <laughs> but before he gets to meet her, he needs to kill time and decides to find out if Polly actually does live where she says she does. Because he's never been there, and of course he has a jealous streak. Of course. He, do- he finds out that she does in fact live in a cottage on a farm with an elderly landlord and a watch goose, which she had not mentioned. A watch goose. Yes, the goose comes into taxes car. <laughs>
1: If you don't have a dog, you go with the the goose. I go with the goose, and geese can be
0: assholes. Absolutely. (laughs) On the plus side, the interview with Euphonia Gage goes extremely well. Euphonia is sharper than the proverbial tack, still does yoga, stands on her head every day, believes in the power of purple, and encourages Quill to breathe. (laughs) Once the official interview is over, though, she gives Quill a much more interesting tale, that Ephraim Goodwinter, through greed and skimping on safety measures, Killed 41 miners in, ex- in an explosion. Oh, what? And that was how, part of how he made his money. Oh, Euphonia, oh. by the way, has never thought well of the Goodwinchers, but Gritty wanted to marry one and she always got what she wanted. <laughs> Euphonia has been trying to uh, subsidize the Picayune, but it's failing despite her constant investments. And Senior was then making secret trips down below, which she believes might have been gambling and losing to try and save the Picayune. She tells quill you know if it was anybody else I would have thought it was a girl but that would require him to, that would require him to be interesting <laughs> quill then invites her to dinner but she's leaving to Florida but she's leaving for Florida before the snow flies so on a hint from Coco and a reading from Henry V Cry God for Harry, England and, and St. George. George. Oh, yes. There's so much Shakespeare in this. It's wonderful. <laughs> um, Quill dials our favorite reckless entrepreneur, Harry Noyton. Oh, we, we, haven't, have, seen we while. haven't seen him We haven't seen him for a while. He is back from the cat who ain't Danish modern. <laughs> so he calls Harry because he wants to see if he might be interested in investing in the Picagoon to try and save it from an advertising fade. Hmm. Harry is totally game. Gets <laughs> on a plane, heads for pickaxe. <laughs> Hixie then stops by with another offering in her cat delic- delicacy line and tries to sell Quill on having Coco become a spokescat for the brand.
1: Oh, I'm sure that...
0: That does not go well. N- yeah. <laughs> Just to take an entire chapter of the book, it does not go well. Um, she then mentions that her boss came in with his latest flame. They went through two bottles of champagne to celebrate his divorce being final before they planned to leave on a southern cruise. It should be mentioned her boss is Don Exbridge, and his flame is Gritty Goodwinter.
1: Huh.
0: Uh-huh. Hixie has a great line about Gritty being the hardy, athletic type, the kind I cannot stand. <laughs> it's good to know not much has changed, Hixie. Gritty is uh, getting it on. Gritty is getting it on. Uh, Her Hackpole then stops by to try and get to know Quill, and things uh, also do not go well. He talks about trying a tin can to a cat's tail and using it for target practice with his 22 oh. endearing him to no one. No! He also suddenly learns that smoking is bad for antiques, which puts a bit of a damper on Iris's plans to decorate their new farmhouse with nothing but antiques. Coco makes his opinions on this whole thing known by destroying the, mo- the mobile herb garden. Oh, no. Well, yeah.
1: Well, they kind of deserve that.
0: So. Yeah, it's a little sad that Iris is the one who suffers on that one. Oh, no, that's true. Yeah. Still, oh, Quill, however, continues to be nosy about the Picayune Fire. He's chatting with Scotty of Scotty's Men's Shop, who's also a volunteer (laughs) firefighter. Apparently, the Picayune Fire didn't look enough like arson to involve the state marshal, but it's still a little too convenient. Homer Tibbet then reappears, offering to plug mouse holes and telling stories of teaching in pickaxe for 70 years. 70 years. 70 years. Remember, he's 93. Wow. Now it should be, come as no surprise that uh, LGB loves teachers, especially English teachers. She writes them like heroes. So when you find an English teacher character in these books, they are automatically imbued with every wonderful virtue you can possibly think. Homer Tibbet is no exception. He writes. He tells great stories. He fills his time in retirement um, with helping plug mouse holes, all sorts of things. <laughs> He's delightful and charming. Just an all-around good person. All-around wonderful guy. Homer also fills in a few more of the gaps from Amos and Hattie and and Eugenia um, and Euphonia, excuse me, Euphonia gauge, um, by clarifying that Ephraim did not hang himself. He was lynched. Samson did not die in an accident. He was murdered because someone startled those blackbirds. And Titus did die in a fight, but he died at the hands of the Picayune wagon driver whose name is Zach Whittlestaff. And it wasn't a fair fight. It was definitely a vendetta. Oh,
1: so once more the plot so, is the plot is Interesting.
0: Then Harry Norton arrives, and we are introduced to the new Pickaxe Hotel. We say new; it was built in 1935 and hasn't been renovated since. <laughs> Quill points out there's a color TV in the lobby.
1: If it was—if it. it was good enough for Hoover, it was good enough for
0: everyone. I think there is a line to that effect later in the series. <laughs> anyway. After Harry settles in, Quill convinces him to invest in the Picayune by outbidding XYZ Enterprises and charming Gritty Gritty Goodwinter. Gritty Goodwinter. Gritty Goodwinter.
1: Goodwinter. That is a mouthful.
0: Anyway, moving on. Since Arch Riker has now left the fluxion, Quill proposes hiring him to be the new publisher and promoting Junior to uh, be promoted to managing editor. Visiting Junior in the hospital where he's recovering from a broken leg after a hunting mishap, he Was pretty depressed after he got back from his trip down below, went out hunting by himself. Again, as things happen to be going Mm. in this book, things did not go well. No, and
1: hunting alone is not, no. It's a terrible idea.
0: Not a good idea. Especially when you're not a very experienced hunter. But the worst he got was a broken leg. He's staying in the pickaxe hospital. Everything's fine. Um, Quill then gets a little bit nosy with Junior. Does Junior think his father would commit suicide if he was bankrupt and his wife was having an affair? Unfortunately, Senior never confided in his son, so we still don't know what those trips down below were for. Hmm. There's a bit of a bad Laurel and Hardy routine with jo- with Junior and Jody both quietly trying to suggest someone else for Quill to interview his about his history of the Picayune. And they both eventually agree that the answer should be uh, Sarah Woolsmith. And Sarah Woolsmith is? Sarah Woolsmith is another member of the Old Timers Club who lives in one of the retirement facilities, mm-hmm. and she used to work at the Picayune.
1: Everyone's either a volunteer firefighter or they worked at the Picayune.
0: Or many people did both.
1: <laughs> so it would be crossover, yes. Exactly.
0: Further suspicions are raised by Quill. Further suspicions by, from Quill are raised when Nick Bamba drops off the latest batch of letters from Lorian and gives an update on the cap on the camper that was on Quillerin's, uh lakefront property. It's registered to Hixie Rice. To Hixie? Exactly. Oh. She then lies about the camper and Quill refrains from being nosier due to their friendship. Hmm. But good news is coming is coming down the pipeline. Harry Noyton has successfully wooed the Picayune and Gritty away from X Y Z and gotten the mayor and the city managers behind his plans as well. It helps that he's paying three times what X Y Z offered, <laughs> and he and Gritty are now jetting off to who knows where. He asked Will to pick up the key, her keys, from the airport so their car can be moved before the snow because they aren't coming back till spring.
1: All right. Well, Harry and Gritty, you have some they fun. They are going on
0: uh junior calls to confirm all of the changes that he's really going to be the managing editor quill says yep arch is already on his way up from down below this is really happening junior fortunately then decides to shave his beard and go off to house sit for grandma gage euphonia and quill shares some solid marriage advice to him and jody um you have to think of things from her point of her viewpoint as well as your own if you're going to get married which is not bad advice from a guy who sabotaged his own marriage with alcoholism seems like he's certainly learned something from that he Mm -hmm. definitely has so off they go. Everyone's, everyone's at least happy in that little bubble of pickaxe. <laughs> the Goodwinter Auction is still coming up. Uh, and Quill, well-trained by Iris, is uh, getting ready to bid on a couple of items. Hmm. Foxy Fred is leading the auction. This is his first appearance in the series. Uh, if there is an auction, it is going to be done by Foxy Fred. <laughs> running, running thick. Uh, the stranger in the black coat is back mm-hmm. not bidding keeping an eye on everything um, and as I said Quill has a singular goal he is going to get that damn roll top desk for Junior and mm-hmm. he succeeds uh, Hixie stops by to tell Quill that uh, x is livid the Gritty is leaving with Harry and is threatening to fire her chef boyfriend Antoine or Tony um <laughs> Quill then Quill gets, goes back to the auction and gets to win the desk for a mere $50,000, 110000 in today's dollars.
1: A lot of money, no matter how you look at it.
0: Exactly. But isn't it nice that you've got the K-Fund behind you and you can afford to do things Pretty like that? Pretty much
1: do any frivolous thing you want.
0: Exactly. <laughs> he also heads home to hear the wonderful news that Junior and Jody have decided to elope down below to get married. Oh. Until the radio announces that two people were killed in a head-on collision with a deer.
1: Oh. Is Junior it? and Jody are fine. Okay, good.
0: Unfortunately, the victims of the crash are Gritty and hairy. No, not Gritty! They were going too fast after drinking too much. Oh. Uh, this is also, there's a, also a running warning through this book about it being rutting season. So they had a head-on collision with, like I said, they had a head-on collision with a deer. Um, mm. Because they weren't paying attention.
1: It's, it, well, it, 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 that's one thing I know taking many of uh, a trip up the mountains to see my parents or in... Whatever is that neck of the woods up in Evergreen, if you're not careful, you can Very run into easily a deer, have that happen. And worse, you could run
0: into an elk, and they're considerably larger. Yes, and either way, you're not winning that fight. No, not at all. So fortunately for, uh, for the town of Pickaxe, everything is already on paper, so nothing is going to change with the picky. Later, uh, Quill has lunch at the old stone mill and uh, finds out that Tony Antoine, Hixie's chef boyfriend, has done a full bunk. He went right out the window with his knives and took her car. Instead of the camper she bought for him. Why? Because he was tall, blonde, and very good looking. Turns out, however, the stranger in the black coat is an insurance investigator, and Tony is an illegal immigrant from Canada who is trying to commit insurance fraud. Oh my. Shocking, shocking.
1: Very much so. So
0: That's the side thing. (laughs) We move on a little bit further, and Quill is finally invited to Polly's for dinner. And he heads out, only to run into... The big one.
1: Oh, here it he, is. The snow starts is.
0: falling. It does not stop. He nearly crashes into some bushes. He ends up having to leave his car and blindly feel his way to the farm. Fortunately, he was most of the way there. Because mm. otherwise, as a note, don't leave your car in the middle of a snowstorm. No. No, 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 no! Especially if yeah. it's blowing and you're gonna you, you lose sight. this not. No, that's not, not safe. good. Not But again, he was he was already most of the way there. He knew he was he knew he was close. So he that's why he got out or wasn't paying attention. Still though, he real, d- still though, not a good idea. But he successfully makes it to Polly's cottage. Cottage. Um, he was wearing long johns, so while freezing, so he's freaking cold, he is not uh, suffering from hypothermia. And they share a lovely morning when she realizes that he'll live when he quotes Shakespeare. And of course, the quote the quote is, for this relief, much thanks for his bitter cold.
1: <laughs> Thank you, Hamlet, Prince of Denmark.
0: <laughs> now, Polly's location is uh, kind of on the forgotten side of the snowplows list. It really shouldn't be dug out for another couple of days, but uh, early in the morning, a snowplow makes his way down to Polly's cottage, and it's a sheriff's deputy looking for Quill, and relieved to find him. Mm. Remember, if Quill dies before the five years are up, everything goes to the family in New Jersey.
1: To the tr- Yeah, whatever this trust in New Jersey.
0: Exactly. This book, by the way, is also where I learned to avoid, uh, to, uh, where I learned to carry a shovel in my car in case I had ever had to dig out my t- the tailpipe of my car to avoid asphyxiation. The more you know.
1: more you know indeed. If you're in a cold weather
0: environment, environment you should obviously. really carry a shovel no matter what. Pretty much. And I do. Um, so this, But this is where I happened to learn that <laughs> particular little trick. Well, that's
1: a very good thing. Um,
0: Iris and the cats are relieved to have Quill home safe. The phones went down early in the storm, but as soon as they came back up, she called everyone she knew, including the mayor, to try and find Quill. Unfortunately, all is not well in Iris's world. Herb is suddenly demanding that she not work for Quill after they're married, and that she should waste her years of education and credentials in antiques to do the books for his businesses. Hmm. And his idea of a honeymoon is a, fish, is a fishing trip in northern Canada in the spring. Not a good sign for married life. No,
1: that's you. not a good sign at all, sadly.
0: Um, on Quill's end, things are looking up slightly. Having already spent the night, if chastely with Polly, he's able to convince her to spend the night at the mansion after seeing the local Messiah concert
1: handles Messiah,
0: i Of course. Of course. And the wedding of Iris and Herb is still happening, and to keep oh. out of the way of the preparations, Quill goes to interview Sarah Woolsmith. She tells him about living on a farm growing up, and how she was once robbed by a neighbor by the name of Basil Whittlestaff. That name sounds of, familiar. Son of Zach, if you're keeping track. <laughs> we also, also meet the inestimable Irma Hasselrich. She is volunteer supreme. <laughs> this runs through so many of the books that Irma is... If there's a volunteer mentioned, Irma is probably leading them. Um, Irma, while chatting with Quill, mentions that Basil Whittlestaff changed his name. Well, wouldn't you? Uh, And now sends Sarah chocolates every year since he's made something of himself locally. Basil Whittlestaff, as it turns out, is now known as Herb Hackpole.
1: So changing from one ridiculous name to another ridiculous name. (laughs) But still, though, Herb is... mm,
0: Herb, basil, pole whittle, staff. Well, change
1: keeping in the family, basil to herb, mm-hmm. because basil is that
0: exactly. So Quill has killed enough time, and he goes back to the K to the K mansion for the wedding. Goes off with only a minor hitch, and Quill predicted this—that he dropped the ring. Oh. he did that at the first he did that at Arch's wedding Well, as well it should be mentioned um, so not a good sign but the cat then the, we have a funny scene of the cats playing hockey with the ring until he finally manages to, retie, to retrieve it and the couple heads off to the uh, bridal suite of the new pickaxe hotel in the morning Iris appears at the mansion's kitchen door in complete disarray an advantage of small town living is that Quill is able to spend Mr. Odell across the, on the snowblower across the circle to, to the church to fetch the local doctor who is Dr. Halifax Goodwinter and in case you were wondering that is Melinda's father <laughs> Dr. Hal sends Iris to the hospital to be sedated just in time. A drunken herb calls the mansion looking for his wife, but Quill and Dr. Hal mm-hmm. make sure that no visitors are allowed to keep him away. Okay, so Iris is in the hospital being kept away from her new husband who is... Uh, mildly insane a raging drunk a raging at drunk at this Jeez. point yes exactly but quill still has to set the mansion up for the reception that he's supposed to be hosting after the messiah concert mm-hmm. quill takes Polly to the messiah performance but near the end the volunteer firefighters and the audience all get up to leave at the same time because the siren on main street is wailing and it's because the k mansion is now on fire the mansion's the on mansion fire? is on fire quill is hysterical the cats were left in the mansion oh, for the God. reception he's wa- and as he's watching the roof the, uh, the roof of the mansion collapses <gasps> Fortunately, Coco has better sense than to stay somewhere dangerous. Coco raised holy hell and got the attention of Mr. Odell, who then took him and Yum Yum back to the carriage house long before the fire started. Good. Also surviving the fire, the Pennsylvania German Shrink, um, which was the uh, piece, a piece of Americana that Iris saved from Amanda Goodwinter tossing he out was in, the to sell it in the previous book, yes. and fortunately, the Goodwinter roll top desk. Oh, good, good, good. These had good. all been moved to the garage prior to the reception, so they are safe. Turns out that Herb Hackpole lit the blaze, but instead of escaping, died in the fire. And there's a very gross description of of them finding him when the fire is over.
1: How gross.
0: He looked like a hot dog charred on the outside, pink on the inside. (laughs) It's really gross.
1: That is pretty
0: gross. (laughs) We find out, however, that according to Junior, Herb hadn't actually been on the firefighter roster, despite what he told Iris and Quill, since the previous spring when he was let go for showing up drunk to training. Okay. There is some good news. Junior, uh, Junior uh, reports that they did find a fireproof box in the ruins of the Picayune office containing the key to a lockbox in, in Minneapolis, which is where Senior was going. Mm. The lockbox contained 100 years of the Picayune on microfilm. Oh, good. Senior kept it quiet so no one would know he was spending the money to preserve the Picayune's history. Oh. But now we have it. Good. Poor Iris, unfortunately, still not doing well. Mm-hmm. Quill goes to visit her in the hospital, and she tells him what what Herb told her that sent her screaming back to the mansion. That he does the dirty work, quote unquote, for XYZ Enterprises. He sabotaged the brakes on Senior Goodwinter's car so that it would fail. He torched the Picayune building, and then threatened to hit Iris if she told anyone. <sighs> She realizes that when she ran away, he must have stolen the keys from her purse and her, from from her purse because she left everything behind when which she was just trying to get out. Which gave him access to the mansion. Which gave him access to the mansion. It's <sighs> awful, but it really does cement her status as family to Quill because he's willing to do just about anything to make her happy and keep her safe at this point. That's he considers good. it a very solemn responsibility. Good. It, it's it's a nice it's it's a nice direction of his uh, savior instinct. Uh, I'd yes, like to say. as
1: opposed to, being, as opposed to uh, on a woman he's trying to pursue romantically, someone who's very close to him personally. And, and is, you
0: know, and, and they trade off caring for each other. Absolutely. Oh, very good. Our story wraps up with, as Quill starts to connect the dots of the Good Winter tragedies to Hamlet, ha ha ha, mm. which Coco has been continuously pushing off the shelves and realizing, Quill, and, and so there's, of course, the, the ting of the uh, the cat who knew Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. Well, Coco's been pushing Hamlet off the shelves. Uh-huh. Had a lot of Hamlet quotations throughout the book. Uh, very clearly. And we have one more that finishes off the book, because Quill realizes he can take he can do something else the very special for the theater, for the excuse me for the community with the hollowed out building. He's going to make a theater because the play's <laughs> the thing. And all the world's a stage.
1: <laughs> well, good. So some good coming out of the tragedy of exactly. losing the K Manor, which is jeez.
0: Yes. Um, it, it, it is uh, losing the building, it, you know, they fortunately don't lose the, the whole building, but they lose all of the antiques inside. Mm. Um, and that's, you know, fortunately, the K fund is, is very well endowed. And so, you know, they can take this kind of a loss. Granted, you, uh, thanks to Iris, by the way, who uh, cataloged all of those antiques over the previous 18 months, they're going to make up boatload in insurance good yeah so you know they can afford to take the to take that money and say well we can't give you a museum we're going to give you a theater
1: give you a community that's a great that's a good trade-off i'd say i
0: think it's a great trade-off
1: so that's the end of the book and we have our victims we
0: lose a few good winters we do we lose two good winters. senior and gritty <laughs> um gritty good then winter. we lose harry norton which is sad. That is sad and herb hackpole which is not sad at all oh no not at all no
1: so um, we have uh, the herb hackpole who was the well, primary killer, I would say. Uh, yes, he, uh,
0: yeah, sabotage, sabotaging the brakes on, Goodwin- on Senior Goodwin's car. Um, Gritty and Harry Norton die by accident, and Herb packful dies through his own neglect of the fire. Which could be considered an accident, I guess, as well, too, but it yeah. serves him right. Exactly. So I have some further thoughts on this book. Because mm-hmm. um, I'm trying, to, uh, because there's a lot to unpack as we... As Quill settles in, he's it, we're, we're getting more of a sense of where Quill fits into this community. Mm-hmm. Um, especially with Polly on the scene, Quill's tastes become blatantly more literary. It's very clear that, that uh, LJB has an extensive knowledge of early 20th century literature. And with Polly in play, she gets to use it all the freaking time. Everything from Polly's name, which is short for Hippolyta from Midsummer Night's Dream, to a cutesy scene with Coco ordering Quiller into bed with Hamlet. Tis now struck 12, get thee to <laughs> bed. Like I said, there's a lot of Hamlet in this book. <laughs> And it tapers off somewhat in later books, but basically this one, all the Shakespeare quotations. It doesn't hurt that Hamlet is really one of the most quotable Shakespeare plays out there. Oh, absolutely. So many great lines. Um, this also made teenage me feel very smug because I was able to identify most of these <laughs> quotes when I read it the first time.
1: Well, and being a the theater kid myself, but also having just fairly recently done a show where Hamlet was the focus. Exactly. A lot of laughing stock is coming back to me, the play mm-hmm. that, <laughs> that I did where we did... The second act is Hamlet, basically. Yeah, and a little bit of a bad version of Dracula.
0: Absolutely, score for the score for the obnoxious theater kids! Yay! <laughs> we're we're getting a sense of some of the running bits that go through this. One of them is Quill's thrifty nature. Um, he constantly complains about the cost of everything, except when he encounters Scotty of Scotty's Men Shop. Scott, the more Scottish the Scotty is. And Burrs is ours for Quill, the more he will buy.
1: So, basically, Scotty is being Flinthart Glomgold, yes. in a way.
0: Yes, <laughs> If you don't know who Flinthart Flint Glomgold is, go watch the new DuckTales on Disney+. Plus. They're delightful. It's a lot of fun. The old DuckTales, too. He's They're fun, but the new ones are bad. Well, I'm just saying Flinthart is a very
1: Scottish duck.
0: The most Scottish, as he would <laughs> the tell The most
1: Scottish, yes. Moving on.
0: <laughs> Na- again, learning the learning the town, we get the sense that names are big here. As the, we learn more about Moose County we, County, we meet the people who will populate it. We've met Homer Tibbet, We've met the X Bridges. We, in passing in this book, meet uh, Derek Cuttlebrink. You gotta love the last name, Cuddlebrink. Cuddlebrink. Um, so on and so forth. Um, at one point, the names are described as Shakespearean, and I think that's very deliberate, not just for this book, but for the whole series. Mm-hmm. All of these names are, are rich and involved. We've, we, speaking of which, we've met the Hassle Riches. Yes. Um, we've got the Duncans. We've got Brodies and all of these other characters, along with, of course, the famous Goodwinters. So that is going to be a really big thing as we learn these names and learn who these people are. It's going to be great.
1: The more that we live in pickaxe, the more that we'll see them, which is great. Exactly.
0: Um, Poor Iris. I know. Um, you were th- You think she's going to get married, be happy, but God. Yes. Also, by the way, apparently she doesn't cook well when she's excited. There's a big joke about being, about Quill being served a mushroomless omelette, salt in the applesauce, sugar in the soup before the big reception. Mm-hmm. Um, but in all of the books where she is featured, she has an irrational love for the pine wardrobe named as a Pennsylvania German Schrank, which if you look up the definition of a German Schrank, it is a highly decorative combo of wardrobe, curio display, and cabinet. As I mentioned before, she saves it from being trashed in *The Cat Who Plays Post Office*, so it's only fair that Quill offers it to her as a wedding present. Um, at that point, Herb tries to tell her that she can't have antiques in the in their new in their soon-to-be new farmhouse, and she gets in a great zinger um, about about Herb smoking. She says, "Well, he can give up his smelly habit. You don't hear the Surgeon General issuing warnings about antiques." <laughs> Go, Iris. You may be man crazy, but you are not going to be a doormat. Nope,
1: not Good at all. Good for her.
0: And a sign of the times for this one, well, the previous book refers to word processors, the children of typewriters. This book actually refers to computerizing the museum catalog. Mm. Um, and we also get a line for the library about how computers and video recorders do not a civilization make. <laughs> Quill's a bit of a book snob if you haven't figured that out.
1: we can kind of get that yes there's more exactly. there more in heaven and earth men our philosophies are ratio.
0: <laughs> exactly more in
1: heaven and earth and invent and commuters and video recorders hair ratio
0: <laughs> so piss off we also get um this what could potentially be the slogan of moose County which is country folks is different and moose country moose County folks is more different this is per Homer <laughs> tibbet who again remember taught school for 70 freaking years right and so he would know a thing or two about that that he would speaking <laughs> of Homer tibbet he later becomes famous famous for having a mysterious flask in a paper bag, um, and while the revelation of what's in that flask after his death near the end of this series is different, I believe, from what we see in this book, because he is absolutely having a nip with his coffee when he meets with Quillerin.
1: So it just it gets retconned later on.
0: I think so. <laughs> um, you know, to be fair, there's been, there, there's almost 30 years between this book and the last book, so... I guess we can kind of forgive her for forgiving this teeny tiny little detail. A little bit of change like that, but sure. We, but we will not forget, and we will come back, and we will be talking about when we get to the, when we get to that particular book. We will be talking about what's in Homer Tippett's flask. <laughs> All right, moving on. Cats will be cats. Um, we have a wonderful moment of Coco interrupting the meeting of the historical society by riding the elevator with a mousie cot. <laughs> also, I, I mentioned Hixie tries to uh, convince Quill to let Co- to have Coco be the spokesperson for her new uh, her new, for the new f- line
1: of uh,
0: feline fancy mm-hmm. foods. Uh, yeah, she tries to film a commercial with Coco, and oh no. oh it is no. he's hilariously uncooperative. Um, the second she leaves, however, he immediately devours the po- the pork liver cupcakes. <laughs> Well, Other notable moments, also with Coco. When the minister asks at Iris and Herb's wedding, if anyone has any objections, Coco responds with a very firm, Yow! <laughs> he was right.
1: Very much so, he was right. Now, speaking of cats, what would be your cat paw rating for My this one? My cat
0: paw rating for this one. It's two and a half to 2.75. It's, D- it's almost okay. to three. Um, <laughs> a, again, because much like the previous book, there's a lot of exposition in this one. There's mm-hmm. a lot of information that's really about, as you called it, world building. And accurately, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, because we're really, we're learning about Pickaxe and where Quill fits into it. And there's a lot, just a lot of information that that muddies the waters, as it were, with mm-hmm. these, um, with, with the murder investigation. And while I think she's doing better with... Combining the story and the murder investigation, they have they have not been separate for a couple of books now. Um, unlike the books that we had down below, right. where we had Quill's story separate from the murder and the and they the somehow two
1: intersect. They they would point.
0: intersect at the end. Um, in this one, it's very clear that you know he is working to solve these murders because that will impact how he can live his life in Pickaxe. Mm-hmm. So it's important that he does these things, which is great. Um, but it's still a little bit muddy. She hasn't quite hit her stride, I think. And she will as the series goes on.
1: I was going to say, there's quite a few more books to come oh, through. So yeah. I have a feeling that she is going to hit a stride and start uh, finding that balance.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, this is only this is only book seven in the series.
1: And this is only, what, the third book that we were in pickaxe?
0: Or yes. That we're de- so-, uh, so Brahms, post office, Yeah. Bronze Post Office and Shakespeare. So, and yeah, Shakespeare yeah.
1: only, so this is only the third book that we're in that. So I think we, yeah, had, we still still have plenty of time. We still have some,
0: some work to do. Um, and I think once she gets past that, we'll go to books that I would think the mystery is a little bit more clear cut in that three and four paw range.
1: Great. Well,
0: any other uh closing thoughts on uh this book? It's really fun to have all of the Shakespeare quotations. Um <laughs> in later books we the, in later books we find out just exactly how expansive her knowledge of uh, 20th century literature is. But Shakespeare is always a home port, um, particularly as a signifier in Quill and Polly's relationship. So it's really fun to have those quotes. Um, and again, I said, as a, as a theater, as a grown-up theater kid now, <laughs> it's really fun to have those quotes and say, I know where that's from.
1: Mm-hmm. And you yes. will even have to, you know what Shakespeare, you know which play it is and you can even probably figure out which scene or which act it's in. Maybe.
0: With a little bit of looking up, my memory is, my memory is nothing on, is nothing on Polly's. <laughs> So thank you so much for listening to The Cat Who Did a Podcast. I'm going to ask you to join us next time for The Cat Who Sniffed Glue. I'm Susan Romsdorf-Terry.
1: And I'm Luke Romsdorf-Terry. And until next time, happy sleuthing or...
0: Stay nosy, my friends.